Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inspected Goals, uh, the pod that tries to improve our FPL play through a more analytical approach. Uh, Sam is back with me this week after his little uh, hiatus to discuss FPL. Sam, how are we doing? Yeah, yeah, doing really well. Thanks, Luke. Um, yeah, just say I thought Rich did a really good job last week as well, filled in really well. Um, so I'm sure we'll have him on again later in the season. Um, and yeah, I'm glad to have have uh, Premier League football back as well. Um, and had a decent first game week, uh, which is good, similarly to you. And yeah, looking forward to probably being able to discuss um, FPL decisions for another, for another game week. Absolutely. Uh, it's glad I'm glad just to sort of get over the line now. Um, I think I talked about it in the lead up where <laughs> just depending on where that cutoff point is, my team could look very different at all different stages. Um, the very last thing that sort of came through for me anyway was uh, was the news that that Perisic and Doherty were likely to be benched and I had both of them in my team. So that kind of forced the last minute reshuffle. Uh, and I just went back to an older draft, basically, without them. I didn't have too much time to think about it because I was actually at work at the time. And, um, yeah, it worked out pretty well. I know we're not going to discuss our teams too much on this pod. I think that was one of the general aims. Did you want to just explain a little bit around that? Um, we will obviously touch on our scores a little bit, though. Yeah, I guess like we'll obviously we'll naturally mention a bit who we own as we uh, uh, have conversations throughout the podcast because we're going to touch on key decisions people uh, are making at the moment. It is likely we're going to be making some of those decisions because they're popular things people are discussing. Uh, but I guess we just don't want to go through our teams player by player just because it takes us quite a lot of time. And we we could, there's a danger then we end up just discussing uh, conundrums and decisions that most people don't have. Uh, and it becomes really specific uh, towards us. But but I guess as a summary, I've got 72 points, mate. How many did you get? Yeah, I've got 79, which is uh, I'm obviously yeah. over the moon with. Um, I haven't always had the best. of. St- I usually actually do pretty well at the beginning, but there has been seasons I've talked about in the past where I've just decided to not have Salah, for example, and that's just usually been catastrophic. Um, but in the seasons where I have had Salah in my team, I've usually started fairly well in the first three game weeks. Um, and yeah, it's been pretty well. It's pretty good, but it's obviously only one game week, isn't it? Um the main reason we don't want to talk for me anyway as well is just I think there's hundreds of podcasts and, and videos that people can do if they want to they want to look at that. And like you say, it's very individualistic. So um, we want to focus on decisions and stuff. But yeah, 79 points. I think most teams are quite similar at this point and we're going to discuss various points as we as we move on. So um, should we move on to our first sort of topic, Sam? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, I suppose it's something that'd be interesting to discuss first that I thought was just in general, what do we use to make decisions now? Because it Obviously, later in the decision, it, later in the season, we're using a lot of data from the current season. If all the teams have already played each other once, mm-hmm. but I just think early in the season is quite an interesting time because we do have data from last season, which is all, yeah, in most cases very relevant, and uh, we want to use that to make decisions. But obviously, things do change within teams, and it's trying to work out, I guess, uh, where that's relevant. So, uh, like an obvious example now would be that Salah plays. Uh, Crystal Palace on Monday night last season Palace probably had the fifth or sixth best um, defence in the league depending whether you look at goals conceded or XG conceded mm-hmm. um, the team seems to be quite similar um, to, to last well I think their defence is exactly the same as last season from what I remember but does that mean they're going to be exa- playing exactly the same this season do they still have a great defence uh, it's things like that where I think it's quite interesting yeah it really is and it's a very tough one, I think, for content creators in general this week, because obviously the general message across the board will be not to overreact to what you've seen in one week. It's also when you're looking at stats, I mean, how relevant is 90 minutes of stats? I think I've talked about that before. You could, We could just take a random game week from last season. And if you were to base all your decisions on that, let's say I just took 22, for example, from last, last season and said, right, OK, tell me what your thoughts are, what your team was. I think it would look very, very different than what probably is the best team for that period. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just quite important to bear in mind. But at the same time, it is a new season. There are new coaches. There are new tactics. There are new players in certain positions. So I think more than any time now, when we don't really have that backing of um, of, of more recent stats anyway, with the current setups, that the watching the games is probably more useful. Uh, I suppose that's debatable, but I think that um it's quite it can be quite useful you just have to be very careful with those bias right and the overreactions that's the really really tricky part to, to to blend in i think um and obviously that's where using last season's data i think in general 
um, is still pretty useful. I mean, we've got players like Salah, whose data's barely changed in five seasons, right? So do we have any reason to believe that it will change yet? N- no. I mean, it could be, it could do. Um, but based off of one game, um, I wouldn't be jumping in expecting that definitely to happen, right? So that, that's one example from me, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's more interesting like that because obviously FPL is a game that's about players in a lot of senses rather than teams, particularly with attackers. That's where it's kind of that's where it's more obvious that we can use uh, last season, I think, with like Salah's the perfect example. Um, whereas this, there's just more, I suppose, like nuanced things, particularly if a, a key player's move from defence. So like with Chelsea, for example, with Rudiger um, uh, leaving and them signing new defenders, how much that impacts defence. But it can also impact the attack local. Like we could see, for example, Salah take a slightly different role um, with them signing uh, Darwin Nunes and things like that. But <laughs> again, it's hard to discuss because like. Even with one game, like even if there's something you picked up on, it could just be tactical for that opposition. Uh, so even even like bearing that in mind, it is really really tricky to judge something I'm, based I'm, off one match. Absolutely, I do think that's important. I think a lot of the very top coaches now, because they have the squads available um, and they are just extremely good coaches, they do change their game plans on opponents quite a lot. You know, we obviously saw Man City that we're going to talk about later set up in a in a. Um, a different way than he did last season. He has used similar before in the past, but a different way. Um, does that mean he's going to continue down that route? We don't know, do we? Um, you know, it's the same for for Liverpool. I would expect when Firmino and, and Darwin are playing. Um, you know, there's there's all sorts of considerations there. Spurs were excellent versus Southampton, but um, you know, I, I don't expect Conte to necessarily change the way he plays. But I would say it would be far more adventurous <laughs> than than say when he plays against Chelsea, right? That's basics. I think most people would know, would know that. But I think, uh, yeah, it, it, it is evolving every single season, I think, with the level of coaches we're getting, how much they can change the team, um, given the, given the matchup. I mean, even stuff like like Potter, uh, Brighton, obviously is a very good example of doing it. Some of these like slightly lesser teams, you would say, than those guys. Um, Patrick Vieira at Palace. I do think they've got very particular game plans now. Um, and it's just really great to see. I love it, to be honest. Mm. I read like quite a good article about Potter how he played like almost like a Johan Cruyff style three four three against like the new Dutch manager in the league and beat them so far like that it's a bit of a flex I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally walking onto the pitch just showing the guns off good old Potter yeah he's a legend um, yeah so that's it really for the general I mean I don't know what else to say on the general thoughts of the season I we just need a little bit more data it's really exciting I think a lot of the decisions we made at the very very beginning. Have we learned anything new by game week two that could completely change what we thought in game week one? I'd say in most cases, probably not. You know, unless you've made a huge mistake, I can't really I can't really even fathom what that would be. You know, that, that, that 90 minutes could, could tell you that it's a huge mistake. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't worry too much is my general message. Hmm. Should we move on to Kane versus Haaland? Because that is obviously the very, very topical um, thing in the community at the moment, as in, First of all, was it a good good decision to even have Kane um, in the first place? Obviously, they won four nil. Um, so, well, sorry, four one, wasn't it? Four one, it was. Um, and he didn't get much. And Haaland, typically, you know, in the swingy swingy season of last year, this was a, a regular occurrence. Uh, ended up getting a brace. Um, slight, and obviously, it was a worse fixture on paper. So, what, was that a bad decision for you? I know me and you both started with Haaland and we we're very big on him. But is it a bad decision to start with Kane? Um, no, no, I don't think it was. Honestly, I think um, I think the inter- it kind of ties into what you've literally just said about what you can, whether you change your mind based on one game week. Because I think with Haaland, for people who transferred to him now, I can understand that if it was already planned in and that was already part of the strategy. But the thing that I'm interested in for people who have done that already and they did that without it being already planned, like I do wonder whether that's come from like fear I guess with suddenly Haaland playing Bournemouth and therefore if it's that is it that they picked up on something in that game or is it just is that admitting an error and that you should have gone with Haaland first like I think the interesting thing is would people would we see so many people doing that if Kane had scored a brace for example I don't think we would absolutely um, not no I, and I think I, like, I think if you went with if it was part of your strategy to go with Kane then switch to Haaland like that's absolutely fine I wouldn't have planned to do that myself um but I you know, you've not changed your mind based on that game. But I think if you plan to hold Kane, the right decision, well, in my opinion, the, the right thing to do is to is to hold him now. Because, again, like, Haaland's obviously a great option against Bournemouth, but you've got another great captain in Salah. Presuming you own mm. him as well. And then straight after the um, 
uh, that Bournemouth game for Haaland, Kane suddenly has great fixtures again. So, mm. yeah, I'm sceptical about people changing their mind based on that game because it's not like we, again, here's the thing, it's not like we just knew that Haaland could do that anyway because of his the amount of chances he got against Liverpool, although that was an indication. Like we we knew it before he joined the league. We knew that just how ridiculously good he is at finishing. We knew how good he is at getting chances. And we know that he's joined the best team in the, in the world at creating chances for him to be the focal point. So for me, the main concern in pre-season was just minutes. As soon as I saw him play against Liverpool, in terms of, in terms of minutes played, I was like, certainly going to be having him in my team. Mm. Um, I was really excited to have him when I saw how many chances he got. But if he'd have got very few chances in that game, I, I still would have owned him. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely it's an interesting one. I, I think uh, I can see why people would switch to Kane um, if it's planned in. But maybe I don't. I think it's quite reactionary if it's done on the basis of that one fixture against West Ham, personally. Yeah, I think I think I, I agree with you. I, I am really sympathetic to the people who went the other way. Um, it's because of the price changes, though. Like you said, I agree with everything you said. Um, if there wasn't price changes, now this is the bit where I always fall down, and it's something that I need to address. Whenever I watch any of the top managers talk, they always say they don't care about price changes. You know, have you ever watched Fantasy Football Scouts series about Meet the Manager or just any of the generally the, the, the top guys in the world in Elite 1K or anything? I think the vast majority say they don't care about price changes. So that would agree with what you've said. I know if I had Kane, which is really hard for me to put me in that pl- myself in that place because I just I never even considered it. And I also think that's probably a bad decision by me just to not even consider Kane. I know it worked out that way, but like you say, it could have been alter- could have been the alternate. I didn't consider it at all. But then to be in a position where straight away he's going up and the other guy's going down, I, I do f- kind of feel like I would have still made that move. Like I would have made that move as well that other people are doing, even if I had planned for Kane. And this is a tricky balance, I think, between... <laughs> following the process and judging off of one game because can people argue it isn't off of one game was it was it literally they just needed to see the fact that he was going to play minutes and be able to score in the team like is that a viable reason to say you know that's why I'm switching to him and now he's just going to destroy Bournemouth like, I genuinely don't know I, I think it's a really tricky decision hmm. yeah I agree it's a tricky decision uh and I'm probably yeah it's easy for me to sit here as someone who owned Harlan from the beginning and say or that West Ham game shouldn't change anything because like you see the price rises and in fact maybe more people than I give credit for hadn't planned that move but had it in their head planned if yeah. there was such a big I think it will because be of the price planned. move for a few people it will definitely yeah. be planned yeah but I mean for some people not necessarily planned but planned if that if what happened happened right okay off so the basis people, of points off, basically yeah because they knew that if Haaland hauled and Kane didn't the prices would change so maybe people had it in their mind they would do it then mm. um, and the other thing I would say like if you did plan to have Kane from the beginning like it's a good decision like they were, they're both really really good options and like you said a lot of people went for that the, the reason was they thought that Spurs would smash Southampton and they did they won 4-0 yeah uh, and I think even though Kane, Kane got, uh, well he got it was Sonny got the assist wasn't it mm-hmm. so even though they weren't that involved like I've seen the highlights and Kane had chances um, and just in, in general predicting the team to do well and score that many goals you'd expect their involvement so I'd not yeah, I think like we got really fortunate as well as Haaland owners that it was that way round. On another day, it could be the other way round. On another mm. day, Salah could have blanked and Kane got the yeah. same score as Salah and Haaland as well, if you relate it to him. So I think definitely we got fortunate with that one. Um, and I'm just I'm really excited for that Bournemouth game actually with City. Um, just because I think it's interesting because West Ham kind of came at them quite a lot, um, and so that created space, particularly for that second goal with Haaland. The defence are quite high up when Haaland makes that sprint through the middle and Kane and De Bruyne plays the ball through. Barely space. He's like a rocket, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. Yeah, I know. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, he looks was... almost like comical the way he runs because he's so big and quick. Yeah, it's always like the way for anyone. It's like Peter Crouch um, trying to leg it. It'd just be hilarious. <laughs> but yeah. But the, the Bournemouth one's interesting because they might just decide from minute one we're just going to play a really low block. And so I still think like... City will win that game comfortably, but I just think it'll be interesting to see how Haaland gets his chances, whether he gets more uh, chances from crosses, or whether we still get see like similar types of chances. I think that's interesting. Yeah, is it, it was interesting because the way they set up in the game, it was uh, they didn't really set up four crosses, did they? Particularly, it wasn't that way. I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to the Man City team, but old school style. I think if you had most like old school British managers, managers, and even if it was Haaland, they got in, they think, well, we need to get crosses in for the big man, but. <laughs> That isn't that isn't where Pep went. Shock, um, yeah. 
I, I wouldn't beat yourself up is all I'm going to say. I yeah. do think I would have made the move from Kane to Haaland at this point, even off of the back of one. So I'm a bit of a hypocrite, but I think it's the price changes that forced me and I can't do without that. Like I, I can't ignore that. And I, that's part of a weakness in my game potentially, because at least you're right from, from next week. I mean, even next week, but Kane could easily score against Chelsea. I think, and then after that, his fixtures are great. And then we start to see Man City play um, every three days or so, don't we? So well, Haaland's minutes yeah. starts to get managed where it's expected at the moment that Kane, uh, Richarlison is not going to affect Kane too much. Um, and uh, until we've got evidence for it, I, I would say that Kane's probably going to play a lot more minutes, right? So, um, yeah, we might be switching back. But sometimes you've got to go with the market. There is a money game within the game, isn't there? And, and, and although the top managers say not to play it, I can't help but think that it might be useful <laughs> all the time. Um, I think... Sorry, sorry, go on, Luke. You're going to no, say no, that's it, that's it. So I was just going to say, on that, it reminds me of the, of the like, conversation people have around taking hits. People often see that managers who are doing well have taken very few hits and assume that therefore like that's it's always good to take less hits when we know that's not always the case. I think it's sort of similar with team value. People make that same mistake of confusing uh, correlation with causation. And it's actually, if you happen to have players that do well and make good decisions, obviously your team value is going to go up. In the mm-hmm. same way, if you do that, it's likely you're not going to lead, need to, to take hits. So it's yeah. not that it's not that you see those managers who are doing really well at the end of the season and like they've got really good team value. It's not necessarily they're doing that well because they built up that team value at the beginning. No. Therefore, their wild card, they had more money to spend. It's just a natural byproduct Absolutely. Um, of, of, doing, of doing well and picking good players. So I try not to worry about it, definitely. But I definitely take it into account in terms of sometimes making earlier transfers. Like if sometimes, but rarely. Mm, we'd have to talk me out of them, I think. Um I think I think also in terms of like just just touching on player prices and stuff, there nearly always is an alternative, isn't there? It might not look quite as sexy on paper, but it's even stuff like off of the get back of game week one, we can make maybe a few assumptions. Stuff like Saliba looks like he might stay in the team and he's four point mm-hmm. five. I've got Gabriel in my team. Is he worth the extra point five? You know, I, maybe, but potentially not, right? I think Walker's a similar situation at Man City could save quite a bit of money there by going to him. There's a few of those that pop up, right, where I, I, I probably would prefer the more expensive player just to be extra sure, but it's looking a lot better. And that's that's kind of a touching back on what we said right at the beginning, the extra information. For me, it's more about the minutes, again, of these players, right? They're, they're not questionable as players. It's more questions around their minutes and their role in the team, which is what we're learning on on each given week that goes um, that goes forward. The Saliba one's a really good example, actually, isn't it? Because obviously, yeah, with that one, we know that now Tomiyasu and Tierney are training again. And so both probably available. So if we see Tommy Asu come back into the team and Saliba's suddenly dropped and White and Gabriel play again, um, we need to take more time to consider him. But if suddenly Tommy Asu comes back in and White's dropped and it's Gabriel and Saliba, that's suddenly like really interesting. So mm. for people who are wildcarding early, that's probably enough weeks to decide that he's a good option if you consider yeah. him to be your first choice. So I think that's a, that's a really good example, actually, of like something you can pick on even with just one game. Is more of a tactical thing or a, a team selection thing. Absolutely. I agree. Um, what should we move on to? So um, I suppose the most obvious thing after discussing Kane and Haaland is to discuss the next topical thing, which is Salah versus Haaland for captaincy. Um, I've got both in my team. You've got both in your team. Which way are you leading? Because it's very close, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm leaning towards, yeah, I've been on Haaland. I'm pretty certain I'll captain him, to be honest. So I've not I've not actually changed the captaincy to Salah. I've still considered him, I guess. But for me, it's just the, it's the it's the fixture. It's what I mentioned earlier about Palace's defence is really good. It was really good last season. I think that holds more weight than their poor defensive performance in the first game of the season against Arsenal. Because mm. they were playing a good team. Um, so yeah, and, and Bournemouth are a newly promoted side, so I think there's reason to believe again, even though they won, didn't they, on the opening game, didn't they? They won, didn't they? Against Villa. Yeah, they won, they won two now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So even though that happened again, I think the, the fact they're a newly promoted side holds more weight than that first game of the season. Uh, so I think when you think about the, the fixture specifically, I think there's more I, there's more chance of Haaland having a massive fall. Like, I, I, I hate to... I don't like captaining a player who... Uh, it's probably a bad example, actually, because Salah could easily score a hat-trick against Palace. I was going to say I like to cap to play that in my mind, I can imagine them scoring a hat-trick and going massive. Um, and, and I think <laughs> that's more Salah like, definitely could score a hat-trick. Yeah, of, yeah. Course, of course he could, yeah. That, that's a silly comment. But I think that's more likely from uh, 
from Harland, I guess. Um, and I think it's interesting that the models actually have a generally edge salary, even when you adjust the minutes mm. to like what you think is reasonable. Um, and maybe that's, yeah, maybe. But I think what you'll see is people who use models actually go more with, with Harland as well. Okay. It's interesting, isn't it? Because at the moment on FPL Review, game week two, it's got Harland at 7.5. But bearing in mind, this is an average, guys, people who don't really use them. And it's got Salah at eight at the moment. That's on the current market. So obviously things will change. That's quite a big difference um, that as well. Yeah, so it's 0.5. Um, the minutes there for Haaland, 77. Salah for 83. So it's it's pretty damn close there. Um, like you say, if you were to if you were confident Haaland plays the same amount of minutes and you bumped him, obviously be a little bit closer, but not too much closer. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because instinctively, I would think Haaland as well. Like, forget, I don't care that he scored two goals in game one. It's just the fixture. Like you say, I think it's a much better fixture on paper. And that's why I would instinctively go there. But I think it's the Salah midfield position. I really, the midfield position is just so powerful, you know. He because it's an average. Obviously, if if they're both blank, Salah's probably getting more points for a start because he's he's got a decent chance of a clean sheet there. I would say. Yeah. You know, he's a lot more creative. This Salah used to be pretty terrible on bonus. I think in the last year or so, um, even longer than that, he has become a bit of a creative force. So you do feel like one goal for Salah could lead to two bonus points, you know, potentially a clean sheet as well. Obviously, gets the extra point for the goal. That's that's only one return where he can he can start racking up a decent number. I do feel with Haaland, if he was to score one goal, you can still still see games where he just gets six points. He'll just get the four because there's so many players in that team that can get the bonus points. They could easily win one nil Haaland. You know he gets six points. I don't think no people talk about explosiveness and all this stuff. I'm not sure I buy it. I, I just go by the averages, but it's easy to to see that I think with him. Whereas Salah, it's quite. I think it's quite hard to see him ever really get. I mean, first of all, he gets an extra point for a goal, like I've just said, but to get six points is quite tough for him, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And I, generally, I, you know, Liverpool at home to Palace. Palace were great the other day. They are a good team, but they're heavy favourites, aren't they? And I can I can see the argument. Um, yeah. I just I just hope it's not a massive a massive uh, swing, which we, we keep happening, uh, whichever way you go. I might hope um, it is if I captain the right one. <laughs> well, yeah, but you're like that. Um, on the on the screen at the moment, I've got Chase's uh, his goal charts that we we brought up last season, which is predicted goals game weeks one to eight um, using his algorithm, and it's got Liverpool down at one point nine goals for game week two. It's got Man City for three point two goals in this game. Um, that's a big difference, isn't it? Now, obviously, the individual player, you know, may not score any part of that, but the fact that Man City are projected to score that by by the numbers. And it's more. So, sorry, go on, mate. I was just going to say, therefore, I know it's not using the, quite the same model that the, the review is or the same algorithm, but it, it surprises me, therefore, that Salah is, is then a little bit higher. I guess it's just that average thing I'll come back to again. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, what I was going to say on that is that's very different to last season as well, when you'd have seen that, but still would have gone with Salah. It's, it's the fact that if you think, like in my head, Man City are going to beat Bournemouth like four or five nil. Like that's what my head's saying. Um, Probably realistically three. That's me like over-exaggerating my head and getting excited. But because I think they can score more, usually with Man City last season, you know that's likely to be spread around the team. But with Haaland now being this focal point, plus on penalties, well, that definitely becomes more. Yeah, but, it, but is he the focal them. point on penalties? Because we haven't had enough games to say that, have we? That that's uh, the, it, it looks like he's going to be. But he, is took it a, he took a penalty when Maros was on the pitch, didn't he? No, no, not penalties. Sorry, the... Um... The focal point. I'm saying we're saying he's going to be the focal point. He's going to score loads of goals, but we don't have enough. We don't have enough games to categorically say that. That's just the feeling, isn't it? Because he has scored the goals when he's been on the pitch so far, but yeah, it's but been it, a very, very small amount of time. Yeah, but he's also yeah, but he's also scored the goals throughout his career so far. Yeah, and he's one of the yeah. best strikers in world football. And I, I think it's clear from when you look at things like uh, press conference comments from Pep, like the whole of last season, talking about the fact they need a striker despite them probably being the best team in Europe. Um, I know they didn't win the Champions League, but being one of the best teams in the world, like he wants a, a goal scorer and a striker. So I, like, I just feel like I'm willing to make that assumption that he is going to be that focal point. Um, Let me throw like, a pitchfork moment at you then, because um, I think it's been noted by quite a few people. And I don't know if it's a factor. Um, I looked at the temperatures. It's supposed to be 30 degrees at 3pm in Manchester on Saturday. Now that's hot. <laughs> I'm hot in this office right now. Um, if I was out there playing football, I'd be dead within 30 seconds, I think. But hopefully Harlan's a bit fitter than me. 
uh, or Man City in general. And I think then I looked at Liverpool on Monday and it's 20 degrees and there's a little bit of rain as well. Now, is there anything in that at all? Because I've got something I just want to say at the end of it, but I want to ask you first. Is there anything in that at all in the way that the teams are going to set up? Should we take that into account at all? Uh, I think it's so minimal, probably not. But like, if it's going to affect anything, the team without the without the ball does more running. Right. So the teams that are therefore going to struggle more on Saturday uh, are the teams that run more, therefore uh, Bournemouth in this context. Um, and if anything, that means I guess Man City try and keep the ball more to preserve their energy. I think the difference is probably minimal. Like teams have strategies to cope with high heats, whether it's like nutrition, like they'll do things like ice packs within towels that players have around their neck while they're on the bench. And at halftime, uh, they'll probably increase the amount of electrolytes and sodium they take in before the game. Uh, teams will use things like uh, uh, menthol gums or menthol um, supplements. They create like a cooling sensation in the mouth in order to try and uh, lower body temperature and lower at least perceived levels of coolness mm-hmm. and therefore lower RPE and rate of perceived exertion. So teams have ways to cope with that. So I don't think it's something going to be completely unmanageable for the players. And also the Premier League have put in break. They've actually added in breaks during the first and second half nice. as well. But I would just say if it's going to, so I would just say all that's quite interesting, but not that relevant to FPL because it's so but if it's going to impact uh, something, it's going to impact the team without the ball more because they generally do more running anyway. Um, yeah. So it impacts both teams. Maybe at least like a slightly slower game as well, more breaks in play. But that's just based on my own experience of. Yeah. But will it affect <laughs> points? So for you, it doesn't. You don't think it has any effect on points, or if it does, it's so negligible, it's not worth. Uh, it, yeah, so. I think if it does, it's so negligible, it's not worth considering. I think. Yeah. yeah, I dread to think what Man City would like having more of the ball. I know it was it was a struggle to not have more of the ball at West Ham. I mean, now against Bournemouth, I think we're going to see ridiculous numbers. Um, you know, if, if Man City score very early on, or even if they don't, to be honest, I think the possession stats are going to be ridiculous from that game. I really do, especially the way they've set up. Mm. Um, it's going to be mad. They're going to have so much of the ball. Someone's put in the chat here. Um, Emil has just said that heat probably means earlier subs. I think the whole sub, I think that's, that's a valid point. At the end of the day, if someone's knackered, then you take them off, right? Um, I do think, and I, we mentioned it before the season started, that this whole five sub thing, I think in the very early stages of pre-season, um, pre-season, the first few games of the season, sorry, we'll probably see more subs just generally because players aren't at their peak fitness yet. I think one thing that I wanted to talk about is Mount got sub for Chelsea. Now, I know he didn't have a great game um, overall, but people were really surprised. Like, is there a problem there? Is, is, is X, Y, Z going on with him and all this? And it could have been tacticals. He didn't play well. There's some information we're not privy to, right? Mount might not have been at his full, his full, he may be doing the jump test you've often talked about, stuff like that. He may not have had that before the game or may not have been reaching the numbers that he historically has been reaching. You know, maybe advised that he had to come off after that amount of time. I don't think it this suddenly means, oh, no, Mount's a rotation risk now. Like, you know, I, I see that discussed in the community. Like, do I need to be worried about Mount now? He's playing Spurs, where we're at. Well, Chelsea still got great games, and Mount's still a great pick, I think. I don't think that matters. Do you think I'm fair saying that? Uh, yeah, I think I think that's definitely fair. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to suddenly think he'll be rotated. Um, I didn't watch that game, but, like, my... Is it, was the general consensus that like it was a tactical thing? Was he not playing very well? He didn't. Chelsea's attack didn't play particularly yeah. well, but also they they kind of put him out on the right. They kind of switched him around the position as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's always, just it's just getting the makeup of the team. It, did, it didn't look great, put it that way. Because I mean, I mean they expected to win the game pretty heavily, right? Everton obviously with injuries coming into it and no striker, and it and it wasn't particularly great. But I just the patterns of play and playing with your new teammates and stuff sometimes does take a while. I don't I don't think there's yeah. anything in it. That's what I was going to say. It's probably adapting to playing with new with well with Raheem with Sterling. And it's slightly different. Maybe that changes their system slightly in the way they attack. So they have to be willing to be a bit more flexible at the beginning of the season while they're still um, still working things out a bit. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely wouldn't be concerned about that if I owned, owned Mount. But he's an interesting one because he's actually a player that a lot of people um, do own. Well, at least I don't know what his ownership is in the game, but it seems to be high in the FBL community on Twitter. Um, but I've seen a lot of people actually considering getting rid of him already. And I think that's I think that's probably quite reactionary because he plays Spurs. Um, and maybe people see the opportunity of someone like Foden. So it's a very, I think if you do that, it's a very aggressive move. Yeah, I can't. I can't get behind that. I, I, no. We've already discussed it. I think the one move that that I think has got some some merit, even off the base of one, is the Kane to Haaland because of the price changes. Outside of that, I struggle to see any move that's probably worth it. I think saving is is the way to go this week if you can handle it. I've got unless I mean you've just literally 
closed your eyes and picked your FPL team completely blind, <laughs> which, you know, sometimes I could have been accused of. But unless you've got Kante sat there as uh, as your main sort of <laughs> your main player from midfield or something, then I think you should be good. Well, especially on Kante, mate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It's just so much easy. To, I love him as well. He's such a good player. I do think that's yeah. strange, though. Chelsea is like the way they set up at the moment. Kante seems to get all the time and space. If you do go and watch that Everton game, he's a great mm. player, but I'm not quite sure why they've got Kante as almost the main playmaker in that team. He's like, mm. he's box to box, he's everywhere. It looks like he's a wonderful, it's always been the way. But he's literally the man who is joining the attack all the time and trying to thread the balls through. Like, yeah. I'm not sure that really should be what he's doing. I think they need to try and work on a better system to get a player more technically gifted in that role. I mean, even Gallagher himself, I think, is, who was obviously his kind of replacement. I think we'd be doing that slightly more attacking role better than him. I don't think it quite works, but, you know, who am I? To chow, he thinks it does, so he's probably right. Well, there's rumours that they're trying to steal uh, uh, De Jong, isn't there, from Barca, from Man United. Right, okay. Yeah. Or stealing not... steal from Man United. Well, sorry, not, he doesn't belong to Man United, but it'd <laughs> kind of be amusing, wouldn't it, after all that fiasco, if he then just goes but to a different team. Yeah. Um, and not sure. About, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, you mentioned Kante because he's a perfect example of a casual pick because people have heard of him, but he's not an FPL option. Yeah. Yeah. Someone in the chat saying he's playing there like a number ten. Yeah. I don't, that's what I thought. Captain yeah. Kante. Well, there you go. Heat maps. Get the heat maps out. He's right up there. Get him in. You take um, one thing from this pod, Captain Kante. <laughs> he's definitely scoring against Spurs now. <laughs> um, okay. What are we going to discuss now? So this is a big one in the community. We don't want to go on about it because Black Box talks about it, but obviously my Mark, he's my mate as well. He is the goat. He put out a tweet about optimal and optimal play. We just wanted to touch on it a bit. So do you want to explain a little bit around optimal? Because obviously we try to do an analytical podcast. We're not claiming to be big analytical guys. So we're nowhere yeah. near the level of some of these players. We're just trying to learn from them. Um, but oh, we've got yeah. our ideas of what that means. So what was, what, what do you think there? I might not completely agree. I was in a spaces chat the other day with, um, yeah, loads of guys on Twitter who are far more intelligent than me. I only understood every other sentence. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is, I suppose, there's been a bit of a debate on Twitter in general about people who are interested in analytics using the word optimal and people not liking that because it's very objective. So people say, oh, it's optimal to Captain Salah this week, for example. And there's a very objective thing to say about something that people don't like that because it's kind of, maybe they feel like it's suggesting that there's one way to play the game. Um and I think I think the main thing to say is actually when it comes to if people use that language and they're talking specifically about what a model is saying, just because they say it's optimal, they're talking according to the model. They're not saying, therefore, it's the wrong decision to go against it 100 uh, percent, because you'll see that otherwise everyone who used everyone who uses FPL review would have an identical team. Um, so that's the first thing to say. I just think but there but there are times when it is objective. So <laughs> we've just talked about Kante. It's it's. I hope everyone would agree it's objectively a bad decision this game week to buy Kante from minus four and captain him. Um, but the line at which people who probably use analytics and models a bit more, at which where people draw the line as to what's objectively a bad decision and, and where isn't is also slightly higher. Mm. So when people use it from a model's point of view, I think people confu- get confused and think they're saying that's the only way you can do it. But also separate to that, in general, we're pro- people who use analytics like us, um, who use models and stuff, are probably in general likely to have a smaller pool of players that we pick from. And maybe that can come across, I don't know, maybe as a bit. Yeah, <laughs> and you, you can't you can't speak for every individual, can you? But even within no. the analytical community, there'll be people who will be willing to sacrifice nothing. EV is king and they will not sacrifice it, full stop. So it is not optimal to them to then drop even slightly below. And then you'll get people like us, mm. who, who will be more willing, and then your people are sort of 0.1, 0.2. Like you say, there is a threshold, and it's not grouping everyone together. And when they say that word for me, they do mean basically as per review or the model. It's yeah. their yardstick. It's their thing to measure against. And I don't think it's the word that people have a problem with, and I get that. But to me, it's better than just asking your mate down the pub. You know, it's better than even me, you know, texting Mark Southerns and saying, what do you think of my teammate? Because first of all, he's probably too busy. He probably doesn't give a shit. He probably looks at it and goes, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, that's a good idea. Because I know I do that to other people as well. I ain't got the time to research your team. And you don't want my advice anyway, to be honest with you. Um, but also, it's like, he's just going to be more biased. He's going to have bias. He's going to try and gradually build it towards his team. You know, that that's what we do. And, and the model kind of just re- removes that for us. And it is our yardstick. That's the way I look at it. I go back to it. And then I try to apply my knowledge, what I can, if I have any, you know, I have to be careful because every time I introduce my human interaction to it, I am putting some bias in there. But it's trying to limit that, right? Because I think we all have that. 
we all have it in some yeah. way, shape or form. I mean, I, I'm, I'm slagging off Kante, for example, something <laughs> I think he's great. Yep. Yeah, I think um, also, like, in my head, the way I think about optimal is, um, yeah, I'd use it in the context of if I was talking about models, like to say this is what the model is saying. But I, I realise just in a, in a general sense, the word optimal just means best. So if you say something's optimal, but people don't know you're kind of referring to a model or that's not their assumption, they might think it's quite arrogant. Whereas mm. I would also say, like, I would use it to talk about other parts of the game. Like, I would say it was not optimal to buy a player that you think I would say if, if you buy a player you think is going to score less points in an alternative, I would say that's sub, suboptimal and it's not mm. a good decision. So if you're buying a player because it's exciting because their EO is really low, but you actually think another player might outscore them, I think that's a bad decision, therefore suboptimal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and vice versa, people do the opposite. They'll buy a player that's really highly owned. Um, but because they may be a bit scared, even though if they think there's a better option, they'll go with them. So I think that's the person, I think that's the wrong way to play the game. I think it's always logical to play for points. Yeah. And I understand in some contexts with that specific example, it makes sense right at the end of the season or maybe on a really, really 50-50 goal. This is another thing I've debated <laughs> with a few people on Twitter, um, like FBL Lions, who, who uses EO a lot more than I do. He's in the chat, by the way, so be careful. To, to protect the rank. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to slide him up or anything. He's a, he's a good guy. Um, yeah, definitely. Suboptimal at making decisions. No, I'm only oh. joking. Um, I, I actually think it's slightly <laughs> arrogant to go the other way. I'm gonna I'm gonna go be harsh and say to think that you know better than the model is quite brave. I like I think of myself as a decent fantasy manager. I'm not the best by any stretch, but I've been good in other games and I have had some success in the past. And I like to think that I can see things with my eyes and you know decide who a good player is. I've had a lot of time playing it. So therefore, would I still say that my decision making is better than you know a very very well put together algorithm by someone far more intelligent than me that uses the markets and uses everything else and removes the bias from it i have to be very arrogant i think to think that i definitely am better than that that's now i'll still try believe me because i obviously think a lot of myself because i don't go fully against fully with it but i i think you can look at that slightly the other way in that in that area and just say like you have to be really confident in yourself to be to be sure that you what you are seeing is what's happening i mean what one test i think is if we were to if you ask everyone in this chat now or me and you to make a wildcard team not look at stats or anything Make a wild card team based on what you saw on game week one. I guarantee your team is full of everyone who scored this week. I guarantee it happens. And, and it would be. I'd have Darwin up front. You know, if Haaland would have Mitrovic, that would probably be my front three straight away. You know, they've all scored this week. You know, probably have Martinelli in midfield. Some of it wouldn't change from my team I've got now. But I guarantee most people in this chat are thinking about all the players who score on game week one. And if we run this experiment in game week two, I bet there's more players that come to light. And that's why I think, just going off a slight tangent, we do need to wait for a little bit more information before we just jump straight to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but also, like, that's not the reality of the situation, is it? It's not us versus the model. It's whether you. Um, so it's not it's, like it's us. all in the toolkit, as someone has just said. Exactly. In the chat. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not us. It's not us trying to beat a model. It's us backing ourselves to beat a model. But we're using that model and inputting our own human interpretation, whether that's something you've spotted in a game, uh, a different interpretation you have about minutes, etc. Something tactical. So it's. It's the model versus us and the model together, <laughs> almost. Um, yeah, we're, we're in unison. We're one. Yeah, we are one. Yeah. We want to get that. Um, <laughs> um, what's the word I'm looking for? Where machines into is it integrate? No, it's not integrate, is it? With an with an electrical chip, amalgamate. I don't know what word I'm looking for. I need I need an analytical person in here who's smart to tell me what the word is. I'll help you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you're no good to me. Get out. <laughs> right. Um, I think we've done that for death. Well, how long have we been going? We've been going for 38 minutes. That's a pretty good time. Um, the next thing we've got down here is Man City team. Should we talk about that? I mean, it's um, it's you know something I said I'd, I'd keep talking about. So um, happy for us to move on. Uh, yeah, mate, you go for it. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll ask you a few questions along the way, but yeah, this is your this is your area definitely. Well, we'll see. Um, I actually only got I got nine out of 11 this week, which was the same as virtually every predictor in the group. They didn't see Bernardo Silva drop in for Gundogan. Um, that was the the main change. Um, what else happened? Um, I predicted Foden to start, but I thought that Mares would probably start ahead of Grealish because I wasn't absolutely sure that Foden would play on the right hand side. It was one of those we keep talking about. We think it's going to happen but we've not seen it yet, right? So I wasn't willing to, to to sort of go there straight away. So that was the two that most people got wrong. Now, the team you can see on the screen is the team that played um, in game week one. Now, something Pep that we know about is generally he reward players that play well. He does obviously change it depending on opponent, but I think it works very, very well. I think given the nature of the game, how much possession they're probably likely to have, what, like we've talked about, 
I can't really see any need to change any of that. I think the team works very well. Um, for me, the main risk areas here are Gundogan. Was it because Bernardo Silva and this link to Barcelona? It very well could be. We don't have the information. I will say that I think Bernardo Silva would probably come back in for Gundogan if all things are smoothed forward, or, uh, smoothed out, or it could just be he thought Gundogan suited this system better. I do think he is a better aggressive eight. So that'll be interesting to see, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So that one, I think, is slightly risky. I wouldn't pick Gundogan yet because Bernardo Silva could be there. I think Foden will play, whether it's right or left, I'm not sure. I think this is a good opportunity if he wanted to, to use Alvarez. Because he used the two wide players very, very wide. And although they were inverted in terms of their foot, the preferred foot, they received the ball high and then they basically come back down the line and the eights would go more towards Haaland. So that does suit having opposite foot almost because you receive the ball and then you come back down, right? And you, you, you filter back in. But if you wanted to try it out where Foden was on the left and Alvarez on the right and use proper width and go wide um, you know, against Bournemouth, that would be a good game to trial that. So I do think there is a chance of Grealish maybe dropping um, for Alvarez as a test or just bringing Mares back in for Grealish so for me the two risk areas really are are Gundogan and Grealish I think outside of that I'll be pretty confident on all the others there is the slight thing about Stones we've still not seen him so maybe you could bring him back in but I think so far Ake and Diaz have played well and I think Walker playing in that inverted role alongside Cancelo works pretty well as well which is he has played that role quite a few times before but often it's been tucked in as a three at the back and he's kind of he, he did the inverted role a little bit further forward which again he has done in the past but that worked out pretty well so I don't see any reason for that to particularly change I think I'd be fairly confident of, of you know hopefully 11 11 10 out of 11 on Bernardo Silva is probably the main one maybe one of the wingers which is the usual story for Man City but fairly confident on Foden anything to say uh no I guess um if we expect to see Cancelo continuously playing on the left how much does that impact is how offensive he is because you do hear people say that he's more attacking isn't he at right back um well not he was really really good everywhere he played last season he did play the majority of last season at left back so I don't think it makes too much of a difference it's more to do with the partnership I think in this setup he is basically in midfield um and his through balls are usually fantastic had a few long shots again like he normally does I think against Bournemouth you're going to see him basically playing wherever he wants I'd imagine it'd be right up there I think it'd be a very good game for him um, I, th- I think I think ideally, if if he was to play in the right side inverted, and they were to sign a left back, that would still work better. As Carl, as good as Carl Walker was in this particular system, I feel like a better ball player would even would be ridiculous. And ironically, I think Zinchenko would have been perfect for this. If Zinchenko plays where Cancelo is now, and Cancelo switched to Walker side, that's almost like a cheat code. But those mm-hmm. guys just wouldn't lose the ball, um, which they probably won't anyway. But yeah, I think we're we're still a way off of that. I know they're still talking about left backs, and and um, even if one was brought in, it looks like they're getting one on the lower end, so Walker should be safe. But um, yeah, I, th- I think I probably did Walker a bit of a disservice if he's playing this role. He's a se- you can see obviously Cancelo and Walker kind of playing the same role. You've got Gundogan and De Bruyne. Obviously, in those two partnerships, there one is far far cheaper than the other, so it's something to look out for. Um, I still think that Cancelo is is still going to be worth the money in the end because we've seen similar to James. You know, similar to just creative fullbacks, basically, and he is far more creative than Walker, even in the same role. Will will generate those bonus points? Is it going to be two millions worth? I guess that is debatable. Um, but for now, I'm still happy to to, to have him just because of that left back issue and the fact that I, I think he will fire in a few goals or assists. I, I, I just do. Maybe I'm <laughs> maybe I'm stupid because that is a big saving. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I suppose based on what you've said there, there's a question in the chat that just said, "Who's the best?" City mid, if someone wants to bring one in this game week, I assume it's Foden, just based on what you just said. Well, De Bruyne's the best to have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Be, yeah, but he's got to cost too much money. Foden's yeah. the best the best one to get. I think Gundogan could become it. If Bernardo Silva leaves, or he just prefers Gundogan in the aggressive eight, then we've seen what he can do in a similar situation before. I know previously had penalties, which he wouldn't have this time. Um, he does take some set pieces as well, Gundogan, or he has done. Which also when he was absolute god tier, obviously De Bruyne wasn't in the team. He was on penalties, he was on set pieces, and he was basically playing as the false nine essentially, or or, or an aggressive eight and running into the space. Um, but yeah, I think I think he is interesting, but it's just far too early to say anything on him because if Bernardo Silva stays, he's he's getting in the team again. I would have thought somehow, even in this setup, that he'll find a way to make it work. So yeah, it's Foden, it's Foden if it's not De Bruyne, yeah, all day. Yeah, uh, don't we have any more questions on that, mate? I think um, you covered covered everything you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think we can move on. Um, what are we going to talk about next? Ah, yes, our little experiment. Do you want to explain? Yes. Um, so we have um, 
I suppose it's kind of to illustrate what we were talking about before to see what would happen in this scenario. But we've um, started a, an FPL team um, where we're just logging into FPL review and with their massive data model, um, just doing what they say every week. So imagining there's, there's zero human input. So we go on, we don't change the settings. Um, we set it to eight weeks for the optimal team. Uh, and then there are some decisions we'll still have to make, like when we play chips, for example, and when we um, uh, when we choose to roll uh, a transfer, for example. But generally, we'll do what it recommends. Um, so we've got that team uh, that we set up. And in the first week, so this is the interesting thing. This team has three Man City defenders, but I've not seen, there might be a few out there, but I don't think I've seen a single person who I'd consider to be a player who uses analytics a lot, uh, who is set up with two with uh, three Man City defenders. Um, but this is what, the model think is, is, is optimal to start with. Um, and then we will roll the transfer this week and then we'll see what it, the suggested transfers are for the following week. So it'll be interesting this week because the captain will be on Salah um, again and it'll be going up against uh, Haaland like a lot of people are, but we'll, going up against, we'll be going up against Haaland without even owning Haaland. So it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see what happens there. And yeah, I suppose it's like, this is not how we recommend to use a model to play the game. We're just doing it because we think it's quite interesting. Um, to, to see what happens if you were to do this. And um, it'll either beat us and make a mockery of us, <laughs> or hopefully we'll be able to beat it and kind of illustrate that if you use human input alongside the model, you can do you can do better than it. Love um, that. Playing both sides, so we, we always win. Love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's really good. Um, and there's another... I've t- I'm so sorry. There's another Twitter handle out there, which I've totally forgotten I was going to mention, um, who did this experiment last season. We did talk about it. I think the model finished 289th or something like that overall, which is incredible. And he did pretty much exactly that. He decided when he was going to use the chips and he saved a free transfer every time he could, and then he used two. Um, now, that's not always going to happen. And John from FPL Review is very keen to make that <laughs> clear that that's a very, very lucky season as well. Um, but it's just incredible, isn't it, to think, I mean, this has already been done, essentially, and it was extremely successful. So it'll be interesting to see how close it gets this time. Um, and yeah, it, you talked about it briefly there about the three-man city. It's that kind of decision where we would be scared of locking ourselves out of Haaland, right? So that's why we probably didn't want to do that. Um, mm. But they could be right. I mean, it, or, or it could change it in 10 weeks' time. It might change its mind on it. Oh, there yeah. Some of the suggested transfers. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's just, it's just there as, like, an interesting uh, experiment, like I said. Um, yeah, def- definitely. And uh, and I guess um, we I guess we'll update every week with just, just how it did. Yeah. Like, we'll let you know what the transfers are that are suggested for the model itself, and we'll just make those exact transfers. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully we remember to do it. Yeah, we'll make sure we remember to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> our own teams. Yeah. Right, we um we we've got a few questions from the community before we go, so we're going to touch on those. Um, we're we're looking good for time this week, so that's great. So um, <laughs> we've gone over, it, but still looking good. <laughs> yeah, we've gone over, but good for us. Um, so question one we've got from at FPL Tempo. He just says two city defenders or one city mid and a defender. So um, he's he's obviously assuming Harlan there or just not having him, I guess, but. Um, so really, the double up on defence, or would you prefer to have a midfielder and a defender? Um, what's your thoughts? I'd prefer the two defenders personally. I don't, I don't have two city defenders currently, uh, and that's the one thing in my team. Like I maybe think I might have made a mistake there. Look, and I was thinking this even before the the first game. Um, so so far it's worked out even because I um it was basically I was either going to have like Edison in goal or have Saka and have that eight million pound midfielder. And I just really like Saka with his fixtures. Mm. So that's why I went for the Iverson and Ward double up so I could have Saka. And so I think Saka got six points. And obviously with the defensive double up, most people got six points from their second defender or maybe it was eight from Edison, assuming they have Cancelo. So at the moment, like it's fairly even, but that's the one thing where I think if I could go back, even though I've not really lost out on any points yet, that's maybe one thing I would change. I'm not 100% sure. But I love, like, I had Man, Man City double defence for most of last season, mm. even early on when a lot of people didn't. And it was, a, yeah, it was it was absolutely brilliant. And their defence is so much better than anyone else's, um, I think. And there's reason to believe it still will be this season. It's the same defenders, uh, apart from Zinchenko leaving. And so I, I would prefer that. But I guess the key thing is if you can get the midfielder at the right time, um, and like get that big hole that you might not get from someone like Diaz, uh, or you might get less frequently. If you can get like Foden at the right time, that's key. And oh. I also think, interested to get your decision on this, that Foden like could, in theory, like be absolutely nailed and be- could become a bit of a game breaker. Like, you know, 
could have like a 15 goal season, for example, and everyone just owns him 8 million all season. Like that mm. could happen. Yeah, no, I mean, the, there's part of me that really wants to have Foden and always is and, and always wants wants to, to go down that route. But I think objectively, I mean, FPL review, like I say, I'd have to be arrogant to say that that's wrong. I think three, he's, he's gone for three City defenders for a reason. I think considering Edison is cheaper than he ever has been, Walker's five million, Ake's even five million, not that I'd necessarily buy him now, but you've got Man City defenders extremely cheap. And it's more that the minutes are far more predictable for the Man City back line at the moment than than um, the attacking wingers are. Because he rotates the two wingers, right? He does. I think Foden's probably nailed, but he's not, you know, I can't categorically say he's as nailed as some of the defenders. Um, so my mind always wants to take me to Foden, but I think objectively the defenders are a better, a better option. And although it's only 90 minutes so far, and this is why we have to be very careful, and it's a tough game away to West Ham, the way that they set up in that game was, like I say, more for them to hold the width and then sort of drop and filter back in and then the two eights were closer to to um, to Haaland and they were more aggressive. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to get points from there. I do think Foden's far too good not to get points wherever he played on the pitch. I just think he could just swing the ball in at random on his left foot to Haaland's head like we talked about, classic style. He could go wherever he wants in Bournemouth and, and, and also he could just change the setup. Foden could be left wing and uh, or he could end up being false nine for part of the game or just completely change the tactical approach per opponent. So I think it's far too early to say that, but I would say everything at the moment does point towards the double defence. So I think I think you can hold off um, mm. for now and, uh, and then we sort of reassess it later, right? Especially when the game starts to become all midweek all the time. Um, it just points back towards the defenders again, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, so sure. it's also it's also you compare them to. I think Man City defence is looking good compared to other options, and the eight million midfielders Foden's great, but there's lots of other ones as well. So yeah, it's against the field as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Shall we go on to that third question now, Luke? Just because it's also Man City related. So this is from Emma or uh, on Twitter at Jump the Wave. Emma runs the um, what would you call it? Like a, I guess it's a competition, is it, between people who predict Chelsea and Man City lineups. But also their, their predictions are publicised and the averages are all shown. Mm. So you can use it to give you an idea of what team might play based on fans or people that spend their time predicting this, um, like yourself, Luke. Um, so shout out to Emma for that. She's worth a follow. But she basically asks whether she thinks that Diaz is worth the money um, over Walker plus having that extra, that extra one uh, free to spend, which you touched on a little bit already. Um, yeah, I, right now, no. I think Walker's Walker's for one million. The difference is too much, given the role as well. Not that I expect any points to come from it from Walker, because I don't think you should expect points from Walker full stop. But um, you know, he's he is closer to the goal in open play, so he's probably got a little bit more of a chance just from open play. Obviously, set pieces are a thing, and Diaz is a threat. But one million is probably too much, I think, at this moment. I think the moment they sign a left back then the information would change and that could happen. So that would worry me to make that switch. But if you ask me, like, who would I pick right now on a wild card, I'd pick Walker over Diaz, I think. Uh, would you mm-hmm. agree with that? Uh, yes, I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Interesting one. But you would you would go Walker over Ake, I assume, as well, Luke? I think so, yeah. Just yeah. because Stones is still there, I, we don't know what's going to happen. Stones is too good not to play as well. He is going to come in at some point. Um, it's really hard for him because Diaz is generally thought of as nailed he's not playing overly well he was fine the other day but you would have thought if Stones is going to come in it makes sense to come in for Diaz because he's right footed and, and Pep really does like this left this left footed centre back and the port's out injured um, mm. but then again we've seen we've seen Stones and Diaz be very successful as well so it's just, I think it's just too early to say on that um, at the moment on Stones unfortunately uh, her handle's at jump the wave by the way we said to follow her but she does great predictions for all teams community led and like I say it's using people who have got um Pretty good knowledge of these kind of things and oh, it's trackable. Yeah. I thought it was just Chelsea and City. Is she doing that with more teams now? No, right? she's doing it with more teams. Yeah, she oh, did really? with Arsenal. And um, I think Arsenal was like every predictor had the lineup like bang on 100%. It's not quite the same. It's not quite as hard uh, as Man City and Chelsea so far. But okay. yeah, no, it's great. No, that's good to know. That's good to know. Um, and then yeah, the last question was one player from game week one who we think can break the template. That was from Nahal. Um, I guess from game week one, I presume it means like a player who's returned in game week one. I suppose, or just someone you've watched, just someone you've watched. Yeah, you I think? I mean, based yeah. on game week one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you go first. Um. Sorry, no, have you got someone in mind already? I know the obvious one. 
The obvious one's Nunes, isn't it? Yeah, the I disagree one. with that. I was waiting for you to say okay. that. Okay, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll say that then. I'll say that. Um, yeah, I think it, I think when he says break the template, I think he fits that category simply because most people will have triple Liverpool. So he breaks the template in terms of if you do want to get him, you have to get rid of one of the others. And therefore, you have to rearrange your team for most people involving hits, everything. So that literally will break the way most teams are set up. The stats are fantastic, everything. Uh, yeah, I'll leave you to give you the negatives on it because there are some negatives for it for me as well, but I'm assuming you're going to say them. So. Yeah, well, he's not started. Firstly, he's not started a game yet, including the, including the Community Shield. And like, may, maybe he'll start this weekend, but Jota is back from, in, back from injury soon as well. So I just think he's it's the minutes thing for me. I would... Like maybe he'll break the template long term, but I just think I definitely wouldn't consider jumping onto him, expecting that now. And like, because we know how reliable Robertson is, and the fact that Diaz seems to be just like a direct replacement for Mane, um, I don't think he's going to break the template. Uh, but a lot of people are very keen on him, and I think he's an absolutely brilliant player from what I've seen of him so far, anyway, and from what we saw of him last season in the champ from the the games in the Champions League. Um, so that's why I disagree with that. I think. Um, I wonder if it's like a an awkwardly priced striker because people aren't going to want to lose Haaland and I doubt people want to lose, lose Jesus anytime soon. But if, for example, Bamford, who could easily have... Did he get an assist in game week one or a goal? I can't remember. Um, I watched the highlights. He could easily... Have Bamford, he got, he got an assist, yeah. Yeah, he could easily have had another return. He had a really good header saved. Um, Bamford's an interesting one. Or like Mitrovic... Uh, Tony, maybe. I think if one of those starts to do really well, just because, again, break the template because it's an awkward price, you'll have to sacrifice elsewhere, presuming people aren't keen on losing Jesus and Haaland yet, because suddenly people are completely changing formation because very few people are playing 4-3-3, uh, three, three, or playing three up front, basically. Mm. Um, but, so, yeah, I guess I better pick one and, and not be indecisive. I'll go with um, Patrick Bamford. Okay, yeah, he was my uh, he was my daily pick, wasn't he, from last week with Sam. I said he's... I, I do actually like Bamford. Quite a lot. If we can, if we can bank on his minutes, which is looking good, then he is uh, definitely an under radar pick. Yeah, you so you so. How many did he score? About fifteen in the se- season before last, and then last yeah, season it might he have been a bit more. I think it might have been seventeen or something. Someone have to remind yeah, me. But yeah. yeah, that is very good. Um, still not sure about the penalties thing with Rodrigo, but still he's he's looking good. Oh yeah, I remember, I remember last season there was a game where. Again, Bamford wasn't playing, but it was I did I owned Rafinha for a lot last season, but there was a game where I just didn't own him. And like he was really highly owned, and then in stoppage time, Leeds won a penalty, and he just took it, and it was like absolutely out of nowhere. Mm. Um, it was when I think Click and Rodrigo were on the pitch, oh, and I was like, being absolutely devastated. It was like ninety third <laughs> minute or something, and then he scored like three penalties in the next five games or something. Yeah. Just on that yeah. note, when Harlan stepped up for the penalty, was your heart in your mouth? Uh, like. It doesn't look like it's ever in doubt, but every time I've got a player, I always think the worst is going to happen. <laughs> I thought he was just going to miss it because considering he yeah. missed all those chances in the Community Shield, right, and people were already giving him some grief, and then you think, oh, it's just set up now for them not to score in this game and miss a penalty. Literally <laughs> set up to the point where people can start calling him crap again. I think I would actually have preferred that because then no one would have tra- no one had transferred him in. I'd be keeping to myself. Is that yeah. wrong to think that? Or should I just take the points and run? <laughs> I was... Uh... Yeah, I was actually listening on the radio because I was driving at the time. And yeah, but I I was thinking that, but I think that every single time one of my players has a penalty, so there's nothing new. Yeah, just, I remember, just natural pessimists we are as FPL players, I think. Yeah, there's one week where um, uh, a few seasons, it's just the swing can be so huge as well if the keeper is really highly owned on mm. the other team and you don't have them. That's the worst. I remember one year where I had, I had Vardy and loads of people owned Pope and Vardy had a penalty and... Uh, uh, Pope saved it and the swing was so massive because mm. like Vardy went from like going to get three bonus, going to have the points of scoring the goal to suddenly points lost for a missed penalty, lost all the bonus and then Pope, who I don't even own, has now got a clean sheet plus the penalty save. Like the swing was like massive. Brutal. It, can, it can be brutal, yeah, if the keeper is also highly owned, but that's why we love that's why we love FPL is for those like moments of drama. Well, the, the, well you can't really beat when your player misses a the penalty then it's retaken. And then they score it. That's that's a glorious feeling as well. The relief. Yeah. I, I, again, thinking I can think of not owning Salah and then him having a penalty and then him missing it, but then him having to retake it and score it. I'm just so angry, so angry, <laughs> <laughs> but angry at myself for not having Salah. I think more than anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. We we love it. We love it. We really do. Okay. I think that's it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, 
we're not actually here next week because we're both on holiday. We've decided to just leave you and abandon you. I'm going to Greece. Sam, where are you going? Uh, North Wales. Okay. Not, yeah. not, yeah, I don't want to rub that in at all, but <laughs> enjoy Wales. I'm sure it'll be lovely. Um, I'm going to some random hotel that hasn't been open for two years because of COVID. So I'm just chancing my arm that they've actually done something to improve it in the last two years. <laughs> reading the reviews this morning, I'm not particularly uh, optimistic anymore. Let's put I'm it that going way. To, uh, going to lead on a, on a youth camp that I've done for years went to as a kid and I'll lead on every summer so it will be yeah it's time away it's not necessarily a holiday it'll be very tiring but uh, yeah, by, by the beach in North Wales it should be good good nice good time, yeah. yeah well I say mine's a holiday I've got two kids with me so I'll be stressed <laughs> as well so don't worry about that all right well thanks a lot guys um if you enjoyed it make sure you uh, give us a like some comments subscribe share it amongst the community if you're on podcasts then um do the same leave us reviews um you know just generally share it that would re- we would really appreciate it because uh, we're brand new and we're trying to grow so yeah it's a goodbye from me cheers guys all the best bye bye see you guys